saved today your sins are in the depths of the sea amen that's good i'm supposed to be getting some new glasses here soon and when i get the new glasses i've been gluing mine together for the last uh, three months I, I that gorilla glue works pretty good it really does it works pretty good i couldn't get anything else to work but they kind of got messed up and i've been gluing them and so you know i'm ready for a new pair but when i get my new pair i'm not going to have just distance glasses now they're going to give me these three ways or something yeah progressives digital progressives so i'm going to have the bottom for reading the middle for computer and the top for distance i don't know how that's going to work i and then i won't have to take off my glasses and you won't think how vain he is it has nothing to do with that you know it's just like i can't see the words i and i'd rather see them than you so anyway anyhow all right, John chapter 12 today. John chapter 12. You raise that. Yes, amen. There's a number of you. But anyway, John chapter 12, verse 31. Again, we're glad you're here, and we are. We're excited about the future and what we have in store. Uh, we had our uh, nursery meeting yesterday, and it turned out well, I believe. And uh, I think uh, we, we at least uh, expressed a number of things and kind of have an idea of how things are going to operate and function there as we 
move in and we're excited about it, looking forward to it. What a difference the nurseries will be. I mean, really, it's just amazing compared to where we are at now, compared to where we're going, and just uh, the facilities will be so much more conducive to, you know, um, operating and functioning at a high level there. I mean, it's just it's so tight. It's so uh, restricted where we're at back in that corner. And, boy, the nurseries now will be open and have opportunity to really, the children to kind of be free a little bit more and enjoy themselves a little bit better. And uh, we certainly are glad about that. John chapter 12, verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out and die, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. The people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest thou, the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus, and departed, and did hide himself from them. Now when it says he hid himself from them, it wasn't like he was playing hide and seek, or that his goal was to just totally disappear forever. No, he was trying to depart and to get away. He needed a break, if you will, and we could simply say it that way. But in this particular case, we find the Lord addressing these people. And early on, he tells them that if I, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw men unto me, they did not understand that. Because, let's face it, the Messiah was to ultimately rule and reign on the throne of David. The Messiah was to, to sit on that throne, and he was to have an iron rod, and he was to ultimately direct and lead the, uh, the nations of the world. And here he is telling them, and I, if I be lifted up, he's implying that he's going to die. He's implying that he's going to be crucified on an old rugged cross. But the people can't understand that. If you truly are Messiah, if you're really the Christ, then why would you tell us you're going to be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man then? Who is this Son of Man? And so the question was asked. Mankind has pondered that question for centuries. <laughs> Who is this Son of Man? Since Christ graced the earth with His presence, there's been a discussion one after the other, a debate one after the other to answer that question. Who is this Son of Man? The critics will cite a number of sources that identify Him as the offspring of an illicit affair, or the character of an elaborate scheme of deception. Institutions of so-called higher learning, they have instead sought to induce or to place the word under scrutiny, criticism, all in the name of education. They've disregarded the evidence. They've discredited the Word of God. They've distanced themselves from any 
real truth. Sad, isn't it? Who is this Son of Man? It was a good question. And it's one that you and I have to ask ourselves. As we look at the Lord Jesus Christ, we ask, who is this Son of Man? As we consider who will reign ultimately on the throne of David, who is this Son of Man? I mean, we need to understand who Jesus really is, who He was, and why He came even. So this morning, I want to attempt to answer this question by noting three aspects. Who is this Son of Man? And hopefully we can come to the same conclusion from the Word of God, which I think if we will obey it or hear it and receive it, we will certainly come away with the same answer. So let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you for this time together. We thank you, Father, for just the choirs. They lifted their voice for the congregation as they, Father, sang in praise to you or the special that pointed us to thee. Lord, we ask now that as we gather around the word of God, our hearts would be stirred and encouraged. We thank you for the simplicity of the word. We thank you, Father, that, Father, just each and every one of us are capable of understanding it to where we can apply it to our lives and where you can make such a difference in our hearts. Help us, Lord, today as we consider this question, who is this Son of Man? And Lord, we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So who is this Son of Man? Well, let's note his person. Again, those there that day expected a king. (laughs) They expected a king to ascend to the throne of David. They truly expected Israel to be established as a world power even as it was in the days of David and Solomon. But now he says, I need to be lifted up. I'm going to be lifted up. I'm going to go to a cross and die. They couldn't wrap their minds around that. And you know what? I can understand. That would have been a difficult prospect. You're supposed to rule us. You're supposed to reign. If you're truly the son of man, if you're really the, 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 I mean, you're the son of man, the son of God, if you're truly everything you claim to be, then you're supposed to rule, not ultimately die on a cross, are you? I mean, where's your crown? Where's your scepter? Where's your rod of iron to rule the nation? We're looking for a king, Jesus. That's what the Old Testament promised us. So who is this son of man? Well, Christ himself kind of answers that question. John chapter 14, verse 9. Jesus saith unto him, he says, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, shew us the Father? In John chapter 10, verse 30, the Lord Jesus Christ makes this statement. He says, I and my Father are one. In John 17, 5, again, he says, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. You know, we are born into this life. We're born into this world. And the truth is that we have no recollection or memory of the time prior to being born here. Now, I I have a brother who says that he remembers coming out of the birth canal. Now, he is a genius. He really is. His IQ is off the charts. But I still have a hard time believing that. He must have watched one too many movies. But that movie left left a lasting impression, obviously. 
But he re I remember him telling me, I, I, I remember seeing a light. I said, okay. All right. Well, praise the Lord for that. That's wonderful. I, I can't even remember my own name half the time, let alone the day I was born. But nonetheless, we don't really remember those times, do we? We don't remember what was before. We were conceived in our mother's wombs, and before that conception, we have no concept of time and no understanding of time. We did not exist before that time. And by the way, note I said, we did not exist before that time. Because the moment we were conceived, we became. We were. We were light. Now we have Jesus, however, stating, saying, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. This Jesus, this Son of Man, this Savior was before he was ever born, if you will at least born on earth. As we're going to see that as the, the Bible teaches here, that he said, show me the glory that I had with thee before the world was. So long before the world was, Jesus was. I and my Father are one. Let me tell you who he is. He's the Almighty. He is the Alpha and Omega, the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus Christ is the branch, the bread of life, and the bright and morning star. He's the carpenter, the creator, the chief cornerstone. Jesus Christ, He is the elect of God, the eternal life, and the everlasting Father, the Bible calls Him. Amen. He is faithful and true, the first and the last, and the faithful witness. He's the great I Am, the image of God, the and Emmanuel, God with us. He's the Lamb of God, the light of the world, and the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the living bread, the Lord of glory, and the Lord of lords. This Jesus is the mediator, the Messiah, the mighty God, and the morning star. He is the Redeemer, the Root of David, the Rose of Sharon, and the resurrection and the life. Jesus Christ is the one and the only God. That's who He is. I once visited a very unique and interesting museum. It was called the Werther's Museum. You may have been there before. This museum showcased um, 64 ivory and walnut train carvings created by Ernest Mooney Werther. Each object is a masterpiece of intricacy and detail. It's an amazing thing to see what he was able to do with simply ivory and walnut. This one-of-a-kind collection has been appraised by the Smithsonian Institute as being, quote, price of priceless work of art. So there's no price on it. It's priceless. Still, you know what? If you would have entered that shop, Mr. Werther's shop, in the 1900s, you would have found a, a gray-headed man wearing glasses. He'd had a button shirt on and suspenders holding his pants up. And now again, no disrespect intended to this particular man, but he was not an impressive figure or of any unusual stature at all. He appeared to be a very common and yet to be very common, and yet his genius is visible to this day. When you walk through that museum, you can't help but say, What an amazing man, an unusual man. If you would have met him on the street or at the supermarket, you wouldn't have been impressed at all. 
but just one look upon His creations, and you stand in awe of Him. You know, it's in this same way that Christ walked this earth. He was not impressive in His physical stature. He didn't walk around with a star hovering over His head or an angel sitting on His shoulder. He looked just like you and He looked just like me. There was nothing about Him that stood out, the Bible tells us. The crowd looked upon Him and they heard His words and they said, Who is this Son of Man? There's nothing unique about Him. There's nothing different about Him. Who is this Son of Man? I'll tell you who He is. He's God. Jesus Christ is God. Who is this Son of Man? We know His person, but what of His power? What of His power? In Colossians, turn if you would please to Colossians 1. I turn here often. I really love this passage. It defines our Lord so, so well. The Trinity is so hard to wrap our mind around. You know, well, there's three. There's not one. Yeah, there's three, but they're one, the Bible says. How do you explain that? Well, I believe that a passage we're going to read now has a tendency to enable us to wrap our mind a little bit around that or at least to identify who Jesus was, at least to identify who the Holy Spirit is, to identify who God the Father is. We're going to realize, although they are three distinct in, in that regard, but they are still one total. It's amazing. Notice again, referring to Jesus Christ, we're going to realize that He takes on the characteristics of God Himself, that He is then indeed God. That as we go through Scripture, there is proof to show us that although we may not be able to wrap our mind around the reality of a trinity that is one, we have evidence of it in the Word of God. Notice what it says in Colossians 1.16, For by Him, referring to Christ, not God Himself, but as we would say God, we're talking about Jesus, and earlier in verse 15, it, it addresses that issue, puts it in perspective. For by Him, Christ, were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. Jesus Christ is Creator. So the Bible teaches us. When the Bible says, in the beginning, God, it's talking about Christ as well. He's the creator. Everything you read about in chapter 1 and 2 is Christ at work. Although God intended the earth and his creation to testify of his reality and existence, of course, man has sought to discredit God. As a matter of fact, have even sought to construct another means by which the universe and mankind exist. But see, as Bible believers, we are well aware that God created from nothing. Scientists, on the other hand, have tried to link the origin of matter to the idea that a vacuum creates a type of energy or, or force that, and, and that that force is responsible for the creation of matter and ultimately the existence of the universe and everything in the universe. A vacuum created this force. I see. 
May I say that the only force that existed in the universe, that universal vacuum, was God. That's the only force that existed in the universal vacuum. It was God. He is the force behind all creation of matter. Who is this Son of Man? I'll tell you who He is. He's the Creator. The French mathematician, Le Comte de Noy, he examined the laws of probability for a single molecule of high dissymmetry to be formed by the action of chance. So what's that mean? I'll read it again. <laughs> I hope you get it. <laughs> I don't have time to explain it, no. But anyway... Notice, he says he, that this particular science, this mathematician, French mathematician, he examined the laws of probability. What's the probability this could happen? For a single molecule of high dissymmetry to be formed by the action of chance. How, how, what is the percentage, what is the probability of a particular type of, of molecule to be formed by chance? Denoy found that on an average... The time needed to form one such molecule of our telestial globe would be about 10 to the 253rd power, which means literally billions of years. It just means billions of years. It would take billions of years for that to even possibly happen. But, continued Denoy ironically, let us admit, he said, that no matter how small the chance it could happen, one molecule could be created by such astronomical odds of chance. It could happen, he said. However, one molecule is of no use. Hundreds of millions of identical ones are necessary, he said. Thus we either admit the miracle or doubt the absolute truth of science, he says. What he's saying is this, okay, Okay, let's all just agree for a moment that, sure, given enough time, and just by chance, this molecule could be created over the course of billions and billions of years, even if it did, even if it was. You need millions of those. And the same thing would have to happen millions and millions and millions of times for it to be chance. I mean, let's just face it. You're going to buy a lottery ticket if you choose to do so, and I hope you don't waste your money. And you know what? It, that's, that's only a few million. That's not billions. That, just, I mean, we're talking a few million to one, and you are still poor. You're still lucky to pay your house payment. And you're still fortunate to pay your car. And you have, in, I mean, in decimal opportunities to, to win. I don't even know if that's a word, but boy, it sounded good. But you have all these opportunities to, to win the lottery much more than you would to create a molecule that would ultimately kick off the universe. And it hasn't happened. It could, but I wouldn't count on it. See, God's creation is very complex, extremely complex. And as a result of that, it reveals the truth concerning our Lord that He is creator. He is complex. Not in his presentation to us. Oh, he makes things very simple to us. But in his design of us. You think about a human being. You think about a body. Think about how complex the body is. There is nothing simple about the construction of a man or a woman. Nothing simple at all. When we consider the miles and miles of veins and the multiple, uh, the multiple uh, uh, capillaries that exist in our bodies, 
It's mind-boggling. There is not a supercomputer in this world that is as complex and or flexible as the mind of mankind. Not one. The greatest engineers have sought to build prosthetics even. And boy, we thank God for the, the ingenuity of mankind and the opportunity to see people who could not potentially walk, now walk. Praise God for that. But as creative as they may be and as technical and as meticulous as their inventions are, nothing can compare to the human body that God provides. Not Nothing. The mind, body, and emotions are so complex. So intricate is this design of the human. There's no doubt, with that being the case, that there is an infinitely wise and infinitely intelligent creator as well. It did not happen by chance. Who is this son of man? He is the creator and all-powerful God of heaven and earth. That's who he is. It's the Son of Man who healed the brokenhearted, set the captive free, made the lame to walk again, and caused the blind to see. The last time you tried that. You say, well, I can go down the street and somebody can do that. Okay. All right. He's the one that healed the leper. He's the one that cast out the demons. He's the one that raised Lazarus from the dead. Who is this son of man? It is Jesus Christ, God in flesh. Who is this son of man? We notice person. We notice power. But I want you to notice purchase. Turn if you would to John chapter 12 again, if you're not there already. John chapter 12. Notice what he himself says again in our text. Chapter 12, verse 32. Chapter 12, verse 32. The Lord Jesus Christ said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. Years ago, there was a man by the name of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was, uh, ultimately would become one of the youngest successful preachers there ever was. I mean, at the age of 29, he'd already built his, his tabernacle that seated over 5,000. You imagine that, a 29-year-old having an auditorium that seated over 5,000. And may I say that God had so blessed his ministry and, 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 and blessed his message that people just literally, at some point, had to take tickets to get in to hear him. Imagine that. Oh, well, we got preaching tonight. Get your ticket. Now, they didn't pay for the ticket, but you couldn't get a seat without a ticket. It got so crowded at some of his meetings. Amazing. Amazing man of God. As he gives his personal testimony of his salvation, he begins by saying, the minister did, come that, did not come that morning. He was snowed up. We'd say snowed in. He goes, he was snowed up, I suppose. At last, a very thin-looking man, a shoemaker or tailor or something of that sort, went up into the pulpit to preach. A horrible storm had taken place. Spurgeon had walked by and decided to enter into a particular church. He was headed to another, and he ended up there instead. 
That storm had kept the preacher home and so many others. So there was a small handful of people that day. And so this shoemaker or tailor or something of that sort went up into the pulpit to preach. Now it is well that preachers be instructed. But this man was really stupid. In those days, that wasn't a bad word. I don't know if he told the guy that or not, but I guarantee you, hold on before you lose your mind. He was obligated to stick to his text for the simple reason that he had little else to say. He didn't know anything else. So he just kept sticking to the text. His text was this, Look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. Isaiah 45, 22. Throughout that message, he would cry out, Look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. Sounds a little bit like Jesus when he said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw men unto me. May I say that although that man may have been a simple servant, preaching a very simple message, it brought that young man under such great conviction that before that service end, he saw the need to look unto him. And Charles Haddon Spurgeon began his walk with Christ. You know what? Each of us must look unto him. Each of us must look to Him. You know, Jesus Christ, He would go on to be mocked, maligned, and mistreated. He would be falsely accused, sorely misrepresented, and unjustly condemned. We know that, don't we? He would bear the cross and endure the shame as He hung in agony upon it. There He would complete the transaction. It would be there that a perfect sacrifice was given on behalf of powerless sinners like you and I. It would be there that it would be Him for us. It was there that He could then say, paid in full. It is finished. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the Bible tells us, For He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 through 19. Turn there if you would, please. Notice again in this particular verse how this work that Christ did for us was so needed and necessary. It is not optional. It is required. It was needed. It was absolutely necessary. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 through 19. Peter speaking now under inspiration of the Holy Spirit says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed, not purchased back from sin with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition from your fathers, how were ye redeemed? But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The fact is, is that right off the bat we learn that money will never buy you a place in heaven. That benevolence will never get you anywhere with God who is holy and righteous. The fact is, is that our conversation and even our lifestyle is not sufficient to earn us a place in the presence of a holy God forever. It's impossible. There's no means by which we can share with Christ or anyone else 
and then ultimately receive eternal life. It doesn't happen. The only way your sin is washed away, the only way that you are redeemed, the only way you're purchased out of sin and placed on the winning side is by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And that is it. There's no other way. Thank God for that precious blood. Because that precious blood is the payment for your sin and the payment for mine. And it must be applied to your life and mine if we hope to escape the awful penalty of sin. Colossians chapter 1 verse 14 says, In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sin. You say, I, I, I want my sins forgiven. I, I feel the weight and the burden of my sin. I, I feel so helpless over my sin, it continues to control me and to overpower me. May I say today, if you're lost without Christ, you need His shed blood. You need that precious blood that was given to you and I on Calvary that was bled out there, he had the nails in His hands and in His feet. God provided you a sacrifice. and You don't have to ever, ever, ever face the consequences of your sin because He did so on Calvary. But you must accept what He did as payment for it. There's no salvation outside of the blood of Christ. There's no hope for mankind outside of the sacrifice and shed blood of the Savior, Jesus. Who is this Son of Man? He's the Savior. Boy, what a price He paid for us. Look at you on 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. I love this passage. We're almost done. But I want you to take a moment and look at 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. The Apostle Paul, of course, is writing to the church at Corinth, and he says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich... Yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Think about Jesus in heaven for a moment. I mean, who is this son of man? He is God and he is creator. And may I say that he lavishly lived in a place called heaven. And yet he was willing to become poor, willing to come to this earth and walk the dusty trails of Galilee. So that you and I who are poor in spirit. You and I who are lost in sin. You and I that are condemned already to a place called hell. Could be rich in his poverty. He is God. He is creator. And he is savior. He is everything and all that you and I need in both this life and the next. Have you allowed Jesus Christ to rescue you from sin today? Have you chosen to accept His gracious offer of salvation? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus Christ is pleading and He's begging with you. And saying, come unto me, and I will forgive your sin, and I will change your life, and I will give you eternal life. 
but you must come unto me. To reject Jesus Christ is to accept the alternative. And that alternative is a hopeless eternity without God in a place called hell. What about you? Have you allowed Christ to rescue you from sin? In just a few moments, the music will play and we'll give you an opportunity to respond. And God help you to choose Christ. Who is the only wise choice? But what about you who claim to have been rescued already? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 through 20, the Bible says, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? which you have of God, and you're not your own, for you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. What a price He paid for you. What a price He paid for me. Oh, that we would live our lives for Him, the very one who purchased us with His own blood. That we'd give Him His due, that we would elevate Him and we'd magnify Him and we'd place Him in the... the position of preeminence that He deserves in our life, that we wouldn't put Him on the shelf, that we wouldn't neglect Him. Who is this Son of Man? I can take a heart that's broken, make it over again. But I know a man who can. I can't take a soul that's sin sick, wash it white, white as snow. But I know a man who can. Some call him Savior. The Redeemer of all men. But I call Him Jesus. For He's my dearest and closest friend. If you think that no one loves you. And your life is out of hand. Well I know a man who Tell you what, Jesus Christ is the only one that can save your sin-sick soul. And He is the only one that can meet the need of the saint that's in trouble and hurting. Listen, I know a man who can. If you don't know Him today, you need to know Him. He'll change your life and He'll change your future. Father, we come to You. We thank You.